You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves in the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe and Vince. if you discovered you could reverse time. I think it's fair to assume that you'd do pretty much anything you want and then reverse time in order to remove the consequences of those actions. Luckily, Life is Strange's protagonist, Max Caulfield, voiced beautifully by Hannah Tell, is not as morally bankrupt as the rest of us. She discovers she has this talent in her photography class while having what she believes to be a vision or nightmare about a massive tornado coming in from the coast about to destroy her hometown of Arcadia Bay in Oregon. Developed by Don't Nod and published by Square Enix, Life is Strange takes a page from recent Telltale games, titles like The Walking Dead, The Wolf Among Us, and Game of Thrones. The game is being released in episodic content, 5 as per the norm, and follows the same point-and-click feel that makes Telltale game titles so instantly recognizable, right down to the moral choices which you're being told might come back to bite us in the ass later on. Telltale isn't the only one who's ever used this type of storytelling, and I'm happy to see Don't Nod using it so effectively. However, it isn't the gameplay which makes Life is Strange shine, but rather the story. Max Caulfield, whose name may be a nod to Holden Caulfield, the Catcher in the Rye's iconic loner, is a shy, average girl in her late teens. She hasn't yet gotten comfortable in her skin, and returning to Arcadia Bay after having lived in Seattle for so long has not helped either. It isn't until she develops these powers that more confident actions become possible by way of time manipulation. She has the opportunity to say and do just the right thing most of the time, and this gives her a degree of confidence which she clearly never had before. Still, she remains the same person at heart, and this, as the story progresses, is very important in keeping us invested in her as a character and the trouble that seems to follow her wherever she goes. We've all played through episode one, and I'm very curious to hear what you both have to say about the game. Vince, we'll start with you. Seriously? <laughs> I know I made a couple of mistakes. I was but mute. No Sorry, I was <laughs> muted. <laughs> no, I really enjoyed the twist they put on the traditional Telltale formula of we've been so ingrained with the mentality of you have to make the choice right your first try in, in a Telltale game or you're screwed. You might as well start over again. So using the time rewind mechanic to see the at least immediate outcomes of your decisions is really smart in that it sets this game apart from the Telltale style. And even though I had that opportunity to keep going back and changing, I'm still pretty sure I screwed everything up. What's, what I found funny is that... The more I played the game and got comfortable with this mechanic, because it is, it's handled differently than we've seen in, in other games, not just Telltale games. And the more that I got comfortable with it, what wound up happening, and this is both a pro and a con to me, is that I didn't worry about consequences anymore. And so I just, if there was anything that I could screw up, look at, snoop around, whatever, like her best friend's father's dresser, whatever closet, I'm going to go 
Because I know that if there's a negative consequence, I'll just back up time. So there's no consequences because of that. And again, that's both a pro and a con. It allows you to make sure that you're exploring pretty much every aspect of the game because you're not worried that something will create a negative um, consequence going forward. But again, there, by virtue of not having those consequences, it takes away some of the the edge of making those mistakes, which is like for, let's just say, The Walking Dead, part of what made that game so spectacular is if you screw up really bad, it's going to be very bad. It's, this is not going to be a minor screw up. And there's not even remotely that in this game. Joe, what did you think? Well, I have uh, two things. One, I actually didn't get to finish the first episode. Um, I wound up getting busy with some other things this week, so I didn't get a chance to play all the way through. But what I did notice is the kind of the mood of the game just from the beginning and getting a little bit through. Um, I don't know if you guys were a fan of this show. Were you guys ever, did you ever watch uh, Twin Peaks at all? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Did you get the same feeling that I did that it had a very oh, yeah, it, Twin yeah. Peaks ve- like feel to it? This is a game that definitely wears its influences on its sleeve. Like Twin Peaks and like Roger said, Catcher in the Rye. There's definitely a oh, yeah. lot that it's drawing from heavily. Yeah, I like I like the uh, the sort of prophetic vision, of the tornado, the storm, the the crashing of the uh, the lighthouse, so to speak. Like it's all it's all very heavy, very very steeped in atmosphere. Um, one other thing that I did notice is because I was watching Renee play this game too, and I couldn't play when I was doing other things. And it's also a game that I found for the first time in a long time. I'm also content just to watch. Oh, mm-hmm. definitely, yeah. Well, that's the same thing with pretty much any of the Telltale games as well, too, the recent ones. They're, because there's not a ton of, well, for lack of a better term, action going on. It's it's story. It's quite enjoyable for others to watch. I, actually, Karen was watching me play for, for quite a while at the beginning, too, and she was commenting of how beautiful the game looks and how stylized and everything like that well yeah that was the thing though like i didn't feel compelled like that with the telltale games like if i wasn't in control i wasn't really invested these on this on the other hand it's it draws you in one way or another which is very interesting yeah touching back on the style like all of the primary characters and the the settings are beautifully designed great you know costume and color choices whatnot but what, was I the only one that noticed that like the supporting characters were basically just you know generic human one and like they didn't even look like they put much time into some of the tertiary characters like who uh, like some of the other students and the teachers like I don't know they just they just didn't feel like they had the same amount of detail as the oh you main mean like characters in, did. in terms of graphic detail how yeah. it looks I I will agree it, with it's that, it's yeah. the one thing that kind of pulled me out of it like it was like well okay this person just. They did, it's like, did this render incorrectly or did they just not try? Now, that said, though, one of the things that I notice is that depending on where you are as well, depending on um, whether it was kind of a flashback or it's something that's happening, even just a little off screen kind of thing, the graphics were very, um, very different. Very mm-hmm. like you had some that was quite detailed and then just right beside it is something that looks like it might be a watercolor almost kind of thing. Right. And so once I accepted that, then it didn't bother me as much 
with the the people as well. But no, I know exactly what you mean. It is noticeable though, especially because you spend so much of your time talking to somebody else. It's not just wandering around doing stuff. You're talking to another NPC. So when they don't look as good as you do, then yeah, it is quite noticeable. And also it's it was almost as if it went by the hierarchy of who is important in the story because Chloe looks great. Her yes. her model looks fantastic. Meanwhile, the way they rendered her tattoo, like oh, yeah. that was even amazing. <laughs> yeah. But then you look at like the, the guy who does the drawing of her or you look at even Nathan who is more of an important character as an antagonist mm-hmm. and even his work his, his like the the graphics is nowhere near as good as Chloe and Max. So I mean I guess the question for that though is does that add or detract from it cuz at this at this point at the end uh, at the end of the episode do you feel that this is a straightforward telling because where I'm at I'm starting to get a um <clears throat> for lack of a better term um, inconsistent narrator sort of feel from it. Like uh, you can't really trust the narrative as it is, what if that makes mean? sense. I don't know but what you mean. It I, like for me, like if it's an actual stylistic decision, I think it may sort of tie in with the whole photography aspect, how the central images, you know, the central characters are more focused and, you know, the softer edges on the outside, anything that's not really important is slightly out of focus. Or it could just be, I don't want to say lazy design, but, you know, they put out Time what they sensitive as well. What do you mean by narrative, though? Well, so are you, you're familiar with the concept of an unreliable narrator, right? Yeah, yeah. All too well. I'm wondering if that, because I'm just saying, like, I'm just getting little little hints of it, like the, the whole concept of the game seems that it would fit really well with that concept in general where it's you this might not actually be happening or these events like you may not actually be rewinding time or you may not be interacting in the ways that you think you're you're interacting and the hierarchy uh like you you mentioned the hierarchy of people like it just kind of triggered when you started mentioning that mm-hmm. if maybe it's because of how the characters are perceived i think that while i agree that that I, I get what you're I can saying. See the possibility, but yeah. I think that you're overreaching the boundaries of what the game is meant to be. If that is Maybe. in fact true, well, that's bravo for for don't not like that's that's phenomenal. But I think that's giving them far too much credit here. I think that it, the game is far simpler than that. But. I mean, well, we could have four be more episodes to find out, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it is. You do get that feel though as you're playing, where the the certain things aren't as don't have don't feel quite real. And it is again that nod to Twin Peaks and things like that, where certain things are, are very surreal, even when they are in the quote unquote real mm-hmm. universe for her. So, but I mean, there's there's so much about the game that. I found was absolutely spectacular, especially because, and we've talked about this a lot lately, and and every time it happens, we are going to talk about it, having a very good female lead character is important. And I loved this one because of everything that she is, and she is far from perfect, if there is such a thing. And she has to work at gaining some more confidence and not being quite as much of a wallflower. And you can help with that by way of which choices you make going forward. But she's still, you know, an intelligent character that is a ton of fun to play as and doesn't fall on 
different stereotypes that we see in, in some games. I was very happy with that. And then you, you add to that the Chloe character and the hardships of their relationship because Max and family moved to Seattle and basically all communication was cut off just by virtue of the fact that new environment and that age, of course, and things like that. But then you bundle them back together and you see how Chloe has lived that harder life of not having had all of the opportunities that that uh, Max has had and also the choices that she's made going forward and the jackass stepfather and things like that and the drug use and 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 depending on which choices you make when the father busts her for having a joint in the room and all that and she's willing to let Max take the fall for her so they're completely different characters but Chloe in and of herself is also a phenomenal female character in this story in fact for the most part the male characters aren't all that agreeable <laughs> they they they're, they're pretty heavily flawed except for a couple but i mean those two main female characters are absolutely fantastic and engaging in terms of what the story is that's why it's it's heartbreaking but unfortunately all too believable that don't not has said they shop, they shopped this game around to multiple publishers and before they got with square enix every single one of them told them to change the yeah. main character mm-hmm. to a to a male yes yeah, on the, uh, the Reddit AMA. i hate that it well, pisses it, me off to know it was particularly sad, too, because uh, Michael Koch, uh, who's the co-director, even said that their their basic view when creating the characters was to just create good characters and the gender was irrelevant at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, it works. They, it kind of falls a little too much on the stereotypes of, oh, the cute teacher kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, there's a certain amount of that that is believable, of course, but it kind of harbors on that a little too much, I found. But that was one of the only times that it really kind of irked me a bit. But other than that, absolutely phenomenal. And then, again, when you're looking then at the story, so for those who aren't familiar with what this is, again, she figures out that she has these, this ability to reverse time. She has returned back to her hometown and at that, in that town is a fairly prestigious academy, a Blackwell Academy for basically like your grade 12s and things like that. And there is a fairly prestigious photographer who teaches there. He was big at one time, not quite as big anymore. And he teaches photography there and that is what she wants as her career. And I really love how how they use that as well too, the photography. Because again, we've seen different games that use photography as part of their character's um, interest or things like that. But I really like the way that it was handled here. And I like that she's a young character that likes the retro stuff that's popular. And as someone who, you know, I had those old Polaroids, I still have them kicking around <laughs> the house kind of thing. There is something about a Polaroid that will never go out of style that of, of having that immediate satisfaction that flipping it in your finger and seeing that image come to life and there's a lot of people who never actually lived through that and a lot who never will but but I did and and there's something that it, it stays with you so whenever you see a game like this where in it's effectively used or the character really likes it you can immediately relate because it is. It's it's such a phenomenal um, photographic device kind of thing. 
along those same lines, thank you so much, Don't Nod, for putting in a collectibles mode so I can go back <laughs> through and replay the missions and get the like the Easter egg photographs without, you know, having to affect any of my decisions. Sh- Shenmue syndrome. <sighs> Let's not talk about Shenmue. I don't want to get depressed today. So we're already seeing what the main story arc. Well, there's a couple kind of main story arcs going on here. Again, she's back in town. Uh, uh, a girl has gone missing and this is ever present Everywhere in everything that you do almost is this Rachel Amber girl who disappeared under suspicious circumstances. So you have that hanging on you for various conversations. There's posters everywhere. It's basically everywhere. And then you find out later that this girl essentially replaced Max as Chloe's best friend and helped her through her, the, the issues with her real father and all kinds of other stuff too going forward. So that's... You, you get the impression once you really start having those conversations with Chloe later on in the story of just how important that is going to be as a story arc in, in the game. And it's quite likely going to overtake all other ones and uh, including like the, the, the big tornado thing. But who knows if those will converge somehow or what's going to happen because that's the other thing too. She's now had these visions twice of, this massive, massive tornado coming off the coast that's going to destroy the entire town. So between that and the the, like the the photograph contest that she is being urged to go into by her professor, the relationships she has with various other people, not to mention the rich kid Nathan who killed Chloe in one of her time-swapping things where she was able to save her, but at the very beginning, he actually killed her. And so Nathan is turning into a very important antagonist in the story as well, and you you basically have to deal with him a, a few times. So that's another kind of story that's tossed in for good measure there. There's a lot going on. For the most part, it all ties in beautifully together and from what I can imagine is going to be coming forward in the other episodes, I'm. it's got me on the edge of my seat. And it does remind me very much, and this is what we were talking about with Dan pre-show there, the, the idea of episodic content. Some people don't like it because you, you want to get that content all and just play through it all in one shot. However, I like that anticipation. I love how it builds up so that when that episode finally releases, it's at fever pitch and you have to sit down and just play it through because you've been waiting for so long. Yeah, Every time they release that trailer, you know, like Telltale does for the next episode, you're like, oh, oh, I need it. I need... That's why they release the trailers like two days before the games come out, because they know <laughs> like people can't. They'll start like scratching themselves <laughs> if they wait too long. <laughs> I hate train. So that's about it for that. If you're wondering whether it is worth picking up or not, the answer is most definitely yes. At least as far as I'm concerned, and I'd be willing to bet you boys both agree. Oh, I give it a solid worth. Yeah, if you're not uh, willing to dive in for the full season pass, first episode is five bucks. Yeah, yeah I, I think this is at least worth five dollars to try. Yeah, and even if and, and the other thing too with that is if you decide that you like it and you buy the other four episodes, you spend a dollar more than if you would have bought all five right off the bat. Uh, yeah, they have they have the upgrade, which Telltale doesn't do. Yeah, I, <laughs> episode by episode or all of it at once. 
I picked it up on uh, PS4 because it happens to be actually cheaper on PS4 than the PC, the Steam version. So keep that in mind if you have a PS4. And it is one of those types of games, much like the Telltale games, that actually plays much better with a controller than it does keyboard and mouse kind of thing. So this played beautifully as something that you just sit on your couch and and much like other uh, Telltale games, it, it experience. You know, you're, you're, you're taking part in this great story. And because of the manner in which the uh, reversing time function works, again, you get a lot more gameplay out of it just by virtue of the fact that you're bound to continually try something, see how it goes, reverse back, try something else. Oh, and in some cases, you'll get a third option pop up after you've dried a couple. And then you can select that one to get something different. So it's it's not always the same thing. And they did another great thing in that instead of wasting your time having to listen to the same speeches yes, again and again you. whenever you're reversing time, no, you press R1, it fast-forwards to your interaction. So it's one of those things where so many games are the time is lengthened to play it artificially, and this, it doesn't do that. It actually says, hey, listen, you've already listened and heard all of this. Just hit R1, skip it all. Boom. That awesome. alone makes the game worth the money. Yeah. <laughs> What's funny here is I'm looking because I, I, I fired up my PS4 real quick when we first started talking about it. And I'm looking at the choices. And Roger, you're the only person on my PSN friends list that's played the game. So I can directly compare my choices to yours. That was the other thing, too. Yeah. The the when you're when you get to the end of the game, much like again Telltale Games, it tells you what everybody else has done. This one actually breaks it down to everyone or your friends list, which I thought was fairly cool. Does so, it surprise you that I let the bird die? You know what? I, I actually <laughs> it died the first time, and I went crap. So I tried something, and it didn't work. It died again. I went, what the hell is going on? And then I figured out you just got to get to the window faster. Yeah. Well, I, I saved the bird, but then I'm like, well. Now there's a bird flying around in the bedroom. They're going to know somebody was in here. So I rewound time and sacrificed the bird for the sake of remaining hidden. I can care <laughs> did, less. Did you name it Morden? <laughs> Heartless bastard. No, well, actually, I'm trying to go. I'm going through all of the the different options. And again, because you get to rewind and there's not as much consequences, the, the, the big one for me was where she um, she gets busted with the, the joint and you have to hide. Did you actually hide or did you stay there? I stayed in the closet. Okay. See, I, well, you can actually stay there if you can't get into the closet. Cause if you don't move the lamp and oh. you just open the door, oh, no, I, I got into the closet and then I stayed there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I tried, there's three different things you can do for that one. You can screw up and not get into the closet, and then he catches you right away. Or you can go into the closet and stay there, or go into the closet and come out. So I tried every single one of them. And so I stayed with the one where I saved her at the end. And you get that message of, you know, you're going to get expelled if you keep this up, essentially. You may want to consider your that- thing more. There are some decisions where I went back and rewound and saw all the consequences, but like that was one of the ones where I was like, okay, I'm 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 okay with that outcome. But like like right off the bat, though, with uh, whether or not you report Nathan to the principal, I reported him, and I was like, hmm, not so sure about that. I went back, rewound, and decided not to report him. I'm like, ah, crap, that sounds even worse. So I went back again to to reporting him, and then the game plays out, and I'm like, ah, shit. I probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> yeah, I, that one too. I went back three times. But the one for the getting busted, I, I would tell people, 
Go through all three options because you in particular, not having done that, you missed a fairly big one actually. And that's the reason why I stuck with that one at the end. I was like, oh, okay, well, it's not good for my, my scholarship, but it's worth it story-wise. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to stick with it. So anyways, I again, I'm trying not to say too much to spoil too much. So bite me, Dan. <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> not all spoilers. I'm being careful what I say here. Sorry we spoiled the first half hour of the first episode. <laughs> <laughs> it is definitely worth picking up. Again, like ever, the boys said, you can get it for five bucks and then get the rest of the season if you want. I picked it all up because I feel it's worth it supporting these guys. And having played through it, I can tell you it's, it, you know, you played something that was good when it stays with you. Mm-hmm. When you're thinking about it a lot and, and it's, again, I'm, I, it's the type of game that once I've played through all the episodes, I can see myself playing through it again, but choosing a way different morality system for her essentially and seeing where it takes me. All right, let's move on from there. Wildstar has had, as we've talked about in the past, some difficulties it's trying to overcome, and it is trying to get people a lot more interested in the game. And of course, one of the ways that you do that is by introducing people to the lore of the game as well. The thing with Wildstar is that, in terms of lore, it is freaking overflowing with lore. It's got lore in every manner imaginable, be it from the characters, the interpersonal relationships between the characters, as well as the actual planet itself and things like that. What Carbine has done is they've been actually putting up, I I don't want to call them short stories, but bits of lore from different timelines. And they're on their seventh now, the newest one, which is on Brightland's Rebellion. And I found it fairly interesting. Joe, I'm going to let you take this. So this is actually a fairly important one too, because not only is it an important chunk of story as far as everything in the universe goes, it actually points out the schism in which the exiles were created. And if Bright Hand sounds familiar to you because you've played this game, there's a reason. Dead Eye Bright Hand or yeah, Dead Dead Eye Brightland is the uh the descendant of the person who basically started all the rebellion in the first place. And that's actually pretty cool. Uh so the first thing is you get a kind of a classic space standoff, which I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, and at first, when I was started reading it, it kind of caught me off guard because I didn't expect them to kind of do a little reverse chronological story, but they did. They gave you kind of the the end result where basically uh, Bright, Brightland uh, wound up getting all the exiles away on the ships, and then it starts going back to where it all started. And I think it's pretty cool because you start to see sort of the moral fiber uh, that the exiles were founded on. So you have these these lunatics, the Cassians, talking about the purity and this religious zealotry coming up and them starting to order their military people to murder innocent folk. And then what it takes up is Sarek Brightland, their most decorated officer, takes a stand. He breaks away. He refuses to fire on innocent people. And for that, he's taken into custody, branded a traitor. And then he pulls a Captain Reynolds and he goes ahead and he <laughs> murderizes all the people that are about to take him out to the firing squad, stages a single handed kind of, oh, I don't know, badassery, I think would be the only way to put it. I don't accept steals, that. Steals, steals his ship. His old ship. From <laughs> steals his ship and then gets the hell out of there. 
this is a hero story through and through. And it's actually I think it's really, really cool that they they went back and they kind of gave sort of that that weight to the exiles because yeah. it's we know about that from the quests in the game. But to kind of see how it was born from that moment of heroism and life and preservation was really nifty. It made me want to play the damn game again. Yeah, <laughs> I, I loved it. And it's the same thing as with the comics that they did initially. They had a few comics that they did that they posted on their site, and they were phenomenal. And it's, again, it's because they have this wealth of lore. This is the type of game that if they hired a good writer, they could have phenomenal books based on their games, which would inevitably help them as well with getting more people to play it. But even just these these lore bits that are on the site, they're not too long, so you don't have to feel like you're investing tons of time sitting down in front of the computer reading it, but they're freaking awesome. And they do add that layer of depth that when you're playing, you're going, aha, I know where this is coming from. You start seeing all the threads connect. Yeah. That's what I really liked about this. Like the, the story of Brightlands Rebellion easily could have been a novella all of its own. Yeah. Like there's oh, enough yeah. there, but they very smart. They took the important bits you know, basically three pages is what what it comes out to. And it's impactful and it really get, gets your interest. Like more than actually reading the full story, this little excerpt, if you will, got me interested into the story and, and the lore and everything behind it more than you know, a, a giant wall of text would have. So I thought they were yeah. very, very smart with how efficiently they went about it. Yeah, and a lot better than those pseudo lore things that were seen from other games. Gruffle. <laughs> All right, let's move on. So a little game came out on Friday, and I say a little because that's what everybody's been saying about it. (laughs) The Order 1886, and as I said last episode, I pre-ordered before news of how short it was. That said, I I probably would have bought it anyway simply because of (laughs) how excited I was for the title. And unlike some people, I really, I don't rest all my by my opinions based on what others have said or other reviewers or things like that. I'd like to dive in and see mm-hmm. what I think about it. And I know that a lot of people don't like, say, whether it's a quick time event or things like that. Whereas if it's well handled, I'm actually all right with it. But it's all about how well handled it is as well and, and the gameplay and, and different things like that. So anyway, so obviously it, it was installed and I, I did some playing both on um, Saturday and Sunday. I, I have not finished it yet, but that's... Well, I actually I stopped playing because my goddamn controller battery died. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, son of a bitch. And the second controller, I was just a very minor rant. Apparently, this is a common thing for the left analog stick to go start going haywire. I didn't realize that. I thought it was just mine. Oh, the PS1 bug has returned. So you're you're trying to move forward, but your freaking avatar is going all over the place like they've had too much to drink. And I even cracked it open on Saturday, looked to see if there was anything inside that would be causing this. There's no reason. So I had to freaking buy another one. All that just to say... I've set a uh, a stopwatch to make sure that I was checking how much time I was putting on it to the point of if I was taking a break to go get another cup of coffee or whatever, I was pausing it and things like that. And as of right now, I'm just shy of five hours. I'm at um, 10 minutes shy of five hours played. And I don't know what the story is going forward. So who knows how it's going to handle it. Maybe it stops fairly suddenly. I don't know. But based on 
how important the storytelling is from what I've seen so far. I doubt that'll be the case. And it doesn't feel like I'm at the end. If I had to guess, I'd probably say I'll clock in at seven, maybe eight hours. But there's no way in hell this is going to be done in a half hour. It's just not possible. Now, some anything is possible. Now, some <laughs> of the extra time, not too much, but some of it is because I had to redo some of the fight scenes and some of the scenes. Like you're fighting one lichen at one point, and it's a knife fight, and wow, it's just it was like I will, I will say when something is good in the game, and I'll I'll, I'll mention a few of those in, in a moment. There's there's some really spectacular moments. But that knife fight was more frustrating than <laughs> any kind of pseudo boss fight or mini boss fight I've experienced in a while. It was unfucking believable how annoying it was because it wasn't responding to the controls for your your dodging things like that properly. The button controls didn't work very well. It's like you press a, a, an L2 or an R2 to slash, a quick slash or a, or a more pronounced stab. But it was almost as if there was a timer on it that you couldn't just do it too quickly, which just results in the same fight all the time where your throat gets ripped out because it doesn't fucking dodge the way it's supposed to as well. So that wasted a few minutes there that I was really not impressed with at all. But when you look at the other weapons, they're phenomenal. I mean, you, you get to meet Tesla and you go through the things and his little jabs at Edison are just freaking priceless. Yeah. I loved those. He even gives you this kind of device that over, um, it'll, it'll, uh, it'll kind of destroy any circuits. It'll overload Edison's faulty circuits or, or whatever, however he words it. <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny. Um, but you have that device where you have to kind of match the 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 calibration of mercury in in tumblers kind of thing and then there's the lock picking device that he's made that you have to again use different mechanics to make them work and then you have the different weapons like the arc gun and different things like that there's not a a, a ton of different weapons but the ones that are there do handle differently enough that they feel different they again they handle differently and i found shot beautifully like you would look for specific guns in order to do specific things in the game so i i love them and those different mechanics for things like the lockpick and things like that it again i've played a crap load of these types of game and it felt different and it, and that was fun and so it was kind of neat doing those those different little things the most the, the obvious thing is I think that it is fair for me to say without having sat down and ran through a ton of games in my head and whatnot, but just to say, I think this is quite likely the most beautiful game I have ever played in my life. Now we're talking over three decades, four decades of playing different kinds of games. This is... I I should hope it's better than the ones you were playing four decades ago. Shut (laughs) Shut up. This is... There is no compliment that I can give it that will give it weight. I can say that it's spectacular, it's beautiful, it's amazing, all I want. Until you see it on a nice 1080p screen, which I play on on our plasma, which nice 1080p TV, you won't be able to appreciate it. There's no 
um, watching somebody playing it or anything that will make you appreciate it, like actually sitting in front and playing this game. It is amazing. And like a lot of other games that look good, but, you know, something shines too much or the, the clothes doesn't move naturally or there's weird clipping and all these things or the, you know, the talking doesn't line up, all this crap. Or the facial hair doesn't. The facial hair thing. hovers an inch <laughs> above that face. Man, the, all those games. Yeah. This is, th- there's nothing you can complain about. Everything. Challenge accepted. Looks amazing. <laughs> I'm serious. I, I'm sorry. There's, it is absolutely incredible. You you go down into like the the subway area, and there's the tiling on both the, the the ground as well as on the like it's an arch kind of tunnel kind of thing, and you get a different shine on the ground, and it's not all all the same shine either. Some of the tiles are moved a little bit differently or whatever. It's accurate. The clothing we made a big deal about talking about because of the. Um, um, the video that we saw, the dev video, they're right. I'm sorry, but they're right. The, the the time they invested into this, while it's led to a lot of people bitching more because they could have put it somewhere else, maybe better spent. The fact remains, though, holy shit. You, there's, again, there's no words. It's, it's, the clothing is perfect. And it's perfect for the time as well in this kind of alternate universe thing. It, it just looks so bloody amazing. And then when you're on, like the, the scene that they show where they're on the blimp and you get the uh, the wind rustling and all that, again, there's another, you get a different mechanic where you're propelling yourself down on the side of the blimp. So you got to move the, the joystick around different ways so that you're, you're kind of falling down and whatnot. And you feel like a freaking action star in a movie, <laughs> okay? It is like, it's so well done the i've read some people with negative things to say about the the voice acting bite me voice acting was (laughs) fantastic voice acting well french dude a little bit annoying at points but even he comes out with some so he was perfect is what you're saying yeah at one point one of his lines he says mon dieu who built this fucking town there's dead ends everywhere <laughs> so he kind of gets on your nerves. He's he's the one that I found was a stereotype of that French character that's flirting with every girl kind of thing. So that was a little meh. But still the voice acting across is I mean, dude who does Galahad, holy I want his voice. Oh my god. It's perfect. Just amazing. And and the same can be said for for everyone. Like I mean, it's a the voice acting was great and then the score once again, we talked about this because of that dev video. And because of that, I went out of my way to be listening for the score and how it played into different elements of the story. And it's, it's, it's amazing. The, the, I mean, the, the, the score, I I can't see an improvement on the score that could be had. So I'm going to be finishing the game. Once I've finished it, I'll actually do a full feature talking about the game and go into it into uh, more detail and what whatnot. It is not perfect, even up till this this point. It's not. Some of it is. Some of it relies too much on artificially generating again that that idea of artificially stretching out time, like when you're fighting wave after wave of rebels, and it's 
literally just wave after wave of rebels. It's like, where are these guys coming from? Let me just blow up that hut, okay, and be done with this because it's just you wait until you reach that point and then it's like, oh, okay, you've reached enough now you can move on kind of thing. That doesn't happen often, but it does happen a couple of times and you're like, okay, well, this, this is not a heroic moment. There's one moment where Galahad's had it. He is just freaking wigging out lost and gets this insane fucking gun. It was just a thing of beauty and starts shooting down, blowing up things. And you're thinking, oh, right, there's going to be a massive kind of boss fight of some kind there or something's going to happen. And no, it's just you're fighting a wave after wave of rebels. And this, I've read people bitching, there's not enough different types of enemy NPCs kind of thing. And to me, that's bullshit because, I mean, it doesn't have to introduce a whole bunch of different types of enemies. That doesn't make sense. You're fighting either the rebels or the werewolves. So you're fighting one of those two kind of things. So to introduce something completely different or different types of rebels, and then, no, it doesn't fit. This fits. Yeah. Sometimes the monotony of fighting tons of these guys, it, it fits. It works. So there's some like fantastic writing. Some of the lines, like the save your prayers, Lafayette, there's no God to help him when one of the guys dies and, and the French guy is praying over him. There's, there's different moments where they'll say a line and I'll pause and go, oh, that was good. That was, that was good. The, the writing overall, you, there's, there's some elements that are the generic kind of writing that you would expect from this type of story. So certainly, yeah, there is some of that, but there's, it's still well enough written that it's, it's again, it's a good story and it, it is engaging. And yes, there are a lot of quick time events. There are, I mean, there's no getting around that, but I got to say sitting down playing this and, and having a wealth of opportunity to also be shooting freaking bad guys, thermite gun. Oh dude. Oh, thermite gun is just this. <laughs> you use it a few times, quite a few times. It is just this thing of beauty. You're just lighting powder all over the place and then sending flares. And it's just great. Like there's, there's a lot of fun gameplay. So then the moments where you're sitting through the quick time events that are the story that's going on, because I looked at this as a interactive story, same as you look at a, 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 a telltale game kind of thing. It didn't bother me. It quite literally didn't bother me. Would I have preferred more? Certainly. But because it doesn't offer you the choice of what to say at different points, it doesn't make sense to give you that control. Mm -hmm. It's a different type of game than what a lot of people were either hoping or thinking that it was going to be. So picture yourself playing a telltale type game just that is the most beautiful looking thing you've ever seen. So if Telltale came out with a goth hunter fighting lichens and it was the same kind of thing, you'd be all over it and think it's freaking awesome. Well, this is that just fucking gorgeous. So because of that, I'm okay. I, again, I'm not, I'm still not happy with the price, even taking into consideration how gorgeous it is and everything like that. If it clocks in at the seven or eight, I still think full price is too much. I think they should have knocked at least 10 bucks off, maybe a little bit more, but we'll see once I finish it, especially because there's, there's really not much reason to go back unless they give us some DLC. If they do fantastic, but otherwise not much reason to go back. Cause you're not going to make different choices. It's not like a dishonored where right. you can choose to go one way or the other. That's just not mm. going to happen. So there's really no replayability but the price is too high of what it was. 
Yeah, so the, the whole the whole six hour thing on its own isn't game breaking or deal breaking. Like if it's a great six hours, I'm not going to complain. But yeah, it it comes down to it, it wanting to spend full price on that six hours. And that's the same thing. Like I'm going to play this game at some point. I know I'm going to because it hits every button, every trigger, everything that I'm interested in. But at the same point, it's like it's a really hard justification for oh, me. It is, and we. And, and I had that same problem with Batman too back in the day, even at ten hours. Like I felt, I felt that full price was a bit much, and I love that game. Yeah. It's just it, this year, it's just, it's so hard to justify. Yeah, and and, I, and that's the thing too. At no point am I trying to justify that. I'm point blank saying they are ripping off their clients by selling this at full price. I don't care that you invested all your money on making the clothes look great and everything else. I a props to you for doing that. But the gameplay time is not there. And the idea of quantity over quality, while it's a good argument to make to sound like to, to, to justify it, the reality is we're spending for entertainment during a specific amount of time. Mm-hmm. And if it is that short, it's not. Now, if this was eventually this is going to come on sale, you know, we'll, oh, we'll yeah. get a, a PS Plus sale or whatever. And if this ever comes on sale for, you know, anywhere under 50 bucks i would quite literally say under 50 it's almost a must buy i said my one big hope for this game is that obviously they put so much development time into the the graphics and and this and that and now that they've put all that time and effort into the groundwork then the order 1887 i guess can can definitely expand on that in the gameplay and hopefully length category now that they've done all the grunt work already. Yeah. So, because again, if it ever goes on sale, if you're listening to this or whatever, or if you can rent this or hell, borrow it off of somebody, it is, in my opinion, definitely worth playing. It's a fun experience. There's, you're going to read a lot of people bitching about it, complaining about it, a lot of snobby reviewers being snobby about it for sure. And I read a lot of that today and it made me laugh. I don't agree. There are certain things that I do agree with that I, like I said earlier, I I did not like. But there are so many elements that are exceptionally well done that are that do make it fun. And as a cinematic experience to play through it, my God, it was, it's just such a thing of beauty. And there's a freaking Sackboy Easter egg, which I thought was hysterical. (laughs) He finds a Sackboy, you lift it up and you look at it and it's freaking Sackboy. (laughs) <laughs> laughed hysterically when I saw that. Anyways, like I said, I'm going to be finishing it up and then I'll do an actual full review feature on it. Uh, probably I not next week, but the week after that. Yeah, probably again in, in two weeks because I want to make sure to, to give it enough attention to that I'm recording something really good. It is uh interesting experience and I'm glad, I am actually glad I bought it. So that says a lot. There's no buyer's remorse. Unlike the freaking crew and, and shit like that that I've heard about recently kind of thing. This year, At least it works. Let's focus on the positives. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely no buyer's remorse right away. That, that, again, that says how, a lot there. How sad is that, that that's now the bar? Where just, does it work? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, let's move on from there. There is another game that is in that same kind of light of the Victorian era supernatural stuff, and that is Bloodborne. I wasn't that that interested 
initially with this, but the more I am hearing about this and watching the dev videos and we just got the trailer on this, the more I'm actually interested in in playing through this and seeing what it's like. Um, Joe, I'll let you tackle this. So this falls into the category of like Dark Souls and Demon Souls, but more. So one of the things of, of... from from software their previous games is that everything had to be carefully calculated there was penalties dying had its own set of of sort of problems it took away from the action of the game this however is very over-the-top action rpg oriented it's got that same dark gritty victorian feel complete with monstrosities mutations crazed villagers crazy magics and weapons It has everything you possibly could want in a gothic anime-style game. And on top of that, it has a story. And of course, we have to talk about that a little bit. It's not much of one quite yet, but we do have a little bit of information on it. So like Dark Souls and Demon's Souls, you know, there was a story with those games. There was a point, right? You you were trying to accomplish the kind of. There was a vague kind of goal. Here there is it, it actually had destiny a, storytelling syndrome. Let's put it that way. Yes. <laughs> it's there. So for here, we start seeing, we just got the, the story trailer, which was absolutely gorgeous. The music, the visuals, uh, everything was really well done. The voiceovers were fantastic. And we found out just a little bit about the story. So the, I, the idea of the name Bloodborne is not a coincidence. This is a, a a city, a town that is rumored to have this ultimate cure. It's supposed to have the most potent medical remedy known ever. It can cure anything. As a result, travelers of all types and pilgrims come to this city. Uh, I believe it is called Yarnum. I can't pronounce it. Yeah. Uh, to basically try to get this to cure whatever their illness is. As a result, you have people that have succumbed to their illness this, or bloodborne pathogens that have mutated them, turned them into monsters, uh, turned them crazy, turned them violent. So we don't know what the deal is with the main character yet, but chances are very likely that he's suffering from something along the same lines and is here seeking that cure. He is a hunter. This is what he's hunting. But everything I'm seeing about this, this is a purchase. Like this, hands down, when this is released in March, I'm buying this damn game. I want it's a like DLC. It's the Castlevania that... game I always wanted but never got. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want a DLC so you can play as Sam or Dean <laughs> in Victorian era outfits. <laughs> when, he's, when he's riding an actual Mustang. Yeah, this is, uh, it's another one of those games too that when you, you look at it, and they talked about that on, I don't know if you watched some of the other dev videos where they, they interviewed from software and Japan studio as well. It was a two part video and they talked about how much attention they put to the details as well, because this is a PS4. So they've got a lot more power to play with and, and them too, how much attention they put to the clothing for everything, because they said like so much of the other games, they concentrate on big, heavy armor for your characters. And this, because of the power of the console and also because because of the times and the, the, the story, they wanted something that was lighter on the characters so that they can move around a lot more easily to be killing all of these these beasts and different things. So that's why you got a lot more of the leathers outfits and things like that. So it's, it is visually stunning to look at. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, 
It, it's definitely something that has my interest. Like, I like a lot of the gameplay changes they're bringing in. You know, it's got that similar Dark Souls formula of challenging but rewarding but they're really taking a different uh, approach where dark souls was a lot about blocking and counterattacking. but what they've shown here is you know instead of a shield well you can have a shield if you're a wuss but you basically have you know some sort of shotgun or whatever and you can interrupt enemy attacks to then take the advantage so it's, it's a lot more twitchy but at, but can definitely be it, more risk reward stuff which is cool but and just like dark souls for me it's going to come down to how rewarding like and a lot of people said oh it you know dark the best part of dark souls is the difficulty you know once you finally got something right you, know, you felt so rewarding I'm like no it didn't feel rewarding getting something right it felt relieving because i didn't have to replay that two hours of the game over again for the 50th time so, so it's not the difficulty per se, but it's the punishment for failing the difficulty that's going to be the sweet spot on this for me. Yeah, I agree. You, I agree. Well, one last thing, you just real quick before we move on. You hit on something that risk reward. Uh, this has a really interesting mechanic, too, where if you get hit, you have a small window where if you start attacking whatever took your health away, you can actually regain your health from whatever took it. That's awesome. Which is really, really intriguing. So, like, if you react quick enough you can actually heal yourself through combat. Well, they were saying they want that to be something with this game as well that makes it a lot faster paced and moving forward. So mm -hmm. that, again, why they were saying that, yeah, you can equip a shield, but you're not going to last long if all you do is block. So they mm -hmm. want you to have those weapons that are far more DPS-centric so that you're just diving into combat and being being a better player and not standing in the bed and kind of jumping around and avoiding and dodging. So they're they're trying to encourage that type of gameplay versus playing it safe. So I, I really like that. Okay, yeah. let's move on to another game that we're all so excited for. We just don't know if we're going to get it. And <laughs> that's Lost Ark. So this was announced out of freaking nowhere not that long ago and anybody who saw the trailer that dropped for it basically wigged out and then there was also a 20 minute video that came out for this that ran through some of the classes and everything else this is being developed by smilegate and it is a korean game and that's the big one right there because initially it was going to be korea only and then they were saying that it was definitely going to have a uh, worldwide release as well specifically north america they said then they kind of hummed and hawed about that. Now they're saying that they it might be coming, but their primary focus, of course, is career right now. It's um, They're calling it an isometric MMORPG, but it's more like an action RPG. So basically think Diablo 3, just exponentially better. In pretty Marvel every as way. Marvel heroes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so it's, uh, it's running on Unreal Engine 3, and it is God. Spectacularly mm -hmm. gorgeous in every way. When you're seeing the landscapes and, and especially these cinematic dungeons that they're talking about, it's breathtaking. It is absolutely breathtaking. Whether you are zoomed out or zoomed in, it is gorgeous. The character models look fantastic. And unlike a lot of other Korean games, and I'm looking at you, freaking Tara. The female characters, actually, there's some of them that are a little scantily clad, but nothing compared to Terra. They're actually, hell, I would even say almost respectably. <laughs> some, of it, some of it's still pretty bad, as expected, but the average is the higher. The average is actually a lot yeah. better. Some of them is, again, 
trying to look sexy, but at least some of them aren't slutty. There's only a couple I saw that I went, okay, well, that's, there's your slutty right there. But uh, for the most part, look good. But the, the game in and of itself uh, just looks amazing. And then when you're looking at just the, the breadth of gameplay in terms of like 18 classes, that you're going to be able to play at. And they showed some of them, like the, the there's a battle master, which is essentially a, a monk, that tornado ability. Oh my God. <laughs> then you got your mage, the everything ability, yeah. <laughs> the arcana, oh, yes. which is basically a mage with cards can drop <laughs> cards from the sky. Uh, Devil hunter is basically your kind of a gunslinger, but they, they throw in a lot of interesting things like the bombs in the sky that he sends at targets. That was cool. Your warlord is basically your, your tank kind of thing, but you can shoot the, your freaking sword is a gun as well. I love that he kind of because rams, why not? Yeah, and then shoots them off the gun. Oh my god! Uh, Screen on Momo, of course it's gonna have one. Oh, the summoner is basically your mage oh. mesmer warlock type guy who could just summon pets and the serpent dragon from the ground. And then they they briefly again some of it it was very hard to understand what's going on because it's obviously in Korean the um, but they have a different type of system for your abilities and they call it the tripod system so you have three rows of various abilities and then how what abilities you choose in each of those rows then determines how different spells um, act so as an example they showed the 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 monk that monk class the battle master and they have that tornado Based on what abilities you choose from that tripod system, you'll either have mm-hmm. a normal tornado, a fire tornado, which all oh my fucking lord, or that ice tornado and snow tornado kind of thing. So there's unfortunately the tornado lacks piranhas. Oh, <laughs> or sharks. <laughs> so there's a lot of flexibility even just within that. So again, you're looking at your 18 classes, but then from there quite a bit of flexibility in how you want to personalize your 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 avatar and they even said too they had an inter- interview and that's what was sparked this as well we've been meaning on talking about this for a few weeks but there was just that recent thing where they they interviewed the developers and they're saying like they want to really be giving you a lot of areas of customization as well, not just in terms of your appearance, but also in terms of they they were saying other features that can add to the gameplay experience. So you're going to have a lot of, of flexibility so that you're that special snowflake that you want to be. Because they were talking as well how there was the announcements for the tank and whatnot, but not so much for mm-hmm. healers. But they were saying how, yeah, there will be healers. Again, 18 classes, there will be healers, but they don't want it to be the traditional do nothing but heal. You're going to be able to do a variety of things. And it was like, that's Thank you. Right there. Thank you. Yeah, no kidding. So, one of my favorite healing classes that ever existed in MMO was the Rune Priest from Lord of the Rings. And it was because it was an active healing class. You DPS while healing, you did other things. Don't get me wrong, I love healing. But if you're telling me that I can heal while beating the shit out of something, you have me, you have me really interested at that point. And yeah. Oh, um, plus the other the other the other thing that's really cool about this too. Uh, did you catch the part about the open world exploration? Yep. Mm-hmm. Tell me another game that has given you open world exploration in that sort of isometric view. I got nothing. 
Especially not one that gave you your own friggin' ship to sail the seas. Whoa, <laughs> Did you see lost islands <laughs> in the pirate fights? <laughs> the ghost <laughs> ship. Oh god! You know what I like from that too? The the. The, the you spot can always where, tell how excited we are for a game as by how far we get into our sentences before we just devolve into gibbering idiots. <laughs> <laughs> the the one scene where you have the, the ship that's on the water, but there's an icebreaker in front mm-hmm. of it so that it can get through to somewhere that, that it otherwise wouldn't have to. So you're going to have to be either hiring somebody, another player, or working with a, a buddy or whatever who has an ice-breaking ship so that you can make it to areas that you'd like to go. And I was like, that is freaking awesome. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that cool cooperative stuff in the game world outside of just gameplay. Like you saw even the gathering, like, oh, one person can't chop down this tree, but two guys with a giant yeah. bandsaw can do it. Like, I really like that aspect, how they're giving you a vast array of abilities and tying in with what we said with the combat intense customization with what do they call it like the life sphere or whatever Mm -hmm. but basically all of your out of combat abilities like fishing like i i laughed my ass off and that one stupid little warlord is sitting there with this tiny little bobber in and the gladiator comes running up heaves an entire net into the river and pulls back 50 fish in one go (laughs) like that's some cool fun stuff that will make the downtime and the otherwise boring parts of the game possibly quite interesting the other thing too you were talking about the exploration open world exploration stuff and whatnot the interactions that you have with your environment make it so that it's not just a static environment i mean blizzard made such a big deal about the destructible environments for for d3 and things like that and while there is some of that it's really not all that much here. They're freaking climbing vines. They're jumping over ravines. They're doing tightrope walking across the ravines. There's a lot of use for the environments, like that one scene in the, uh, the the cinematic dungeon there, where they're climbing the vine ladder to the next level to go up. Well, you're adding layers now to your environment playing. It's not just like 3D. You're getting like you're feeling a lot more like you in that space and for an action RPG to be doing that is spectacular. Well, look at the uh that fight with the uh, the Baruth, the uh the ice shark yeah. dragon thing. Oh. Did you watch that? When that comes it, and you see it behind them as they're running, uh, yeah, a shiver oh. goes up your spine. <laughs> and then and then it goes deep and you're like, "Oh, they're safe." <laughs> and then you're not. But if you look if you look at it though, like the 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 entire state of that battlefield is constantly changing yeah. from this thing diving and emerging. Like it's us, it, it, these changes that happen during that fight look like they persist. Well, they That's had huge. to use the environment with those massive grappling hooks in order to keep it from submerging all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, you're looking at very interesting gameplay mechanics now where it's not just you, your gun, and your few little spells. No, what's around you? What can you use here? Again, going back to the – that was an actual a Guardian raid too, which is much more difficult content, they said. That again, the, the directors spoke about that during that, that interview, how the Guardian raids are going to be much more difficult you might not even be able to finish them off with four players and it's going to be limited to the environment even to the point of certain times and different things like that so it's pretty cool but for the cinematic dungeon the one where it was that that demon thing that demon dragon whatever the hell that was and they went up to the top and it was kind of like a circular bridge 
thing or whatever that was. And they had to work with the environment to bring the gates down and to move different platforms so that they could go around it and stuff like that. It was like, oh, my God. That just sounds like so much fun. And again, you're you're making it so that you need coordination for your team. You, it's not just that, which again, WoW is becoming notorious for, you know, you just go in and you press your few buttons and you, you have to Turns learn certain mode. mechanics, but you're just pressing a few buttons. No, this you're working together. You're doing different things. You're, you really have to be in the moment. And that was just fantastic. And then they were showing different things in the, like the, um, the hubs as well and things like that. When he went into that inn, sat down on the table and played <laughs> an actual card game, my hands shot up in the air and I cheered a little. It was one of those involuntary kind of like, oh my God, <laughs> freaking TCG built into the game. They're Fre- doing that with uh, Final Fantasy fourteen now too. Oh, did yeah, they? Was, yeah, the, uh, Triad the game from something. Final Fantasy Nine. Yeah, they, they yeah. put it into fourteen. Oh my god, it was. Just I just a I just started playing and I saw that I'm like, well, I'm not questing. <laughs> god. They they tried something similar with eleven, but it was outside of the game and it didn't quite work as well. So, and then some of the other things that caught my attention, of course, you can own your own islands. They they, they haven't talked much yes. about what that's going to involve. Enough to say, though, that you can focus all of your attention just on managing your islands, it said. That seems to say, to be saying that there's going to be a lot going on there. So, again, they're saying this is actually a huge gameplay mechanic that's tossed in. The PvP, that freaking Coliseum thing, mm-hmm. was insane. Just gorgeous. Makes me wonder if you're going to be able to spectate as well. Kind of looks like you might be able to, which would be awesome. If you're going to have a Coliseum, there better be a rocket. Yeah, really. No kidding. And then the other thing that really caught my attention, and this was in that interview, they were talking about the importance of your relationships with the NPCs. The NPCs aren't just going to be there for you to go and chat with, get your quests or whatever. The amount of time you invest with the NPCs and the relationships you cultivate with them will then determine what they tell you about different things. Some of the items are going to be hidden in the game from moment to moment and getting clues and things from NPCs is going to be what enables you to find those. And then they were saying too, whether you want to share that with others is entirely up to you, but what you invest in those NPCs that aren't just meant to be window dressings is going to have a, a profound impact potentially on your actual gameplay. That's friggin' awesome. This this game has so much potential and it has so many things that are making me interested in it that I just want to beg it not to hurt me. Because like we've gotten this hype for other games yeah. before and it's fallen it has fallen short, particularly Korean games that have been moved over to the US, and I have that little tiny fear voice in the back of my head saying it's going to happen again. It's going to happen again. <laughs> and I'm trying to shove it back down. I'm like, no, i got to hold on hope. I need an anime style game that doesn't suck. I need this to work. Yeah. Moving on. We also got some news about the Revenant for Guild Wars 2. Now we're not going to go too, too much on this, but they've started with their, they're giving more information now in prepping for it. So we found out more about the, it's going to be able to wield hammers, maces, and axes. They may say some more later, but so far that's all they've said. And then they've talked about a couple of the legendary stances as well. So far they talked about the demon stance as well as the, as the dwarf stance. And as we said before talking about this, the stances are what's going to have a big impact on the gameplay as well. What we found out is that 
your stances are actually what are going to be taking up the right side of your bar. So four slots, and that's going to be your, um, your healing, your utility, and your elite skills. You're going to be able to hot swap between two legendary stances. You're always going to have one that's active, one inactive, but you're not going to be able to hot swap between your weapons. You're, it's going to be the stance that determines what the weapons do, not vice versa. So as an example with the demon stance, which is going to be Malaxy Unyielding, you're going to be playing a lot more with conditions on you. And the more conditions you have on you, the more conditions are then going to be copied onto nearby foes. Meanwhile, with your dwarf stance from King Ironhammer, it's going to be more tanky brawly, they were saying. And like you're going to have hammers spinning around you. Made me think of the Crusader and D3 kind of thing and, and whatnot. There was a stream as well that was on Friday, I believe, where they showed off gameplay for the Crusader. I watched that. I, I, I actually didn't link it in the show notes, though, so I don't know if you boys got to see it, but it looks hella fun. It looks like a lot of freaking fun playing this thing. I like that it's very recognizable as any other uh, class is, but with that small little twist of, like you said, you don't swap weapons, you swap your stance. So it keeps the same core gameplay. It doesn't completely overhaul the entire game like a lot of other games like to do when they add in a new class. Like, okay, everything you've played before is irrelevant. This is, you know, the new thing, and you have to relearn how to play the game. It's slightly different but still adaptable enough that anybody who's been enjoying the game can pick it up and not have to reteach themselves what they're doing what i also liked is that anybody who played guild wars one will really like the addition of it has an added resource as well so it's using a mechanic that we had in guild wars one which is that energy bar which actually fluctuates so you have like you start off at 50 percent and then you build on that with various abilities, but some abilities have an upkeep. So it goes up and down depending on what abilities you're using. That was a mechanic that you used a lot in Guild Wars 1 for different classes. So you you always had to keep your eye on that because it had such an effect on your gameplay. So I'm really happy that they're introducing that into this class as well. It's going to make it far more dynamic to, to, to play it as well. Now, we are also getting tomorrow, or actually, if you're listening to this, from the recording, it's already in the game, um, patch 6.1 for World of Warcraft. And they're actually introducing quite a few things in this from the, the new Blood Elf models. We've got new heirlooms and a whole bunch of other crap. Um, the only one that anybody seems to be talking about is a Twitter integration. <laughs> and the selfie camera. Yeah, but uh, Joe, go ahead right, and give us a fast run. The selfie camera is legitimately cool. I'll give them that. Yeah, but how long is it going to be before you add <laughs> hashtag Warcraft to your block list? <laughs> Not long at all. Yeah. Uh, you mean I haven't already? Yeah. So... There is a lot going on in this patch, but some of the the key things revolve around the continuing of the story. And up to this point, the story has been fairly lackluster. Like the new raids don't really feel that that same pull as the old ones. Like it's missing a little sort of magic. Uh, We're starting to get a little bit more now. They're introducing Garona Helferson as a follower that you can actually pick up. Not just somebody who tried to kill Kagdar. And if that's a spoiler, I'm sorry, but the game's been out long enough. If you haven't gotten to that point, whatever. Uh, But it's your first legendary follower 
in it marks you trying to keep further tabs on Gul'dan, which seems more and more like they're going to be wind up shifting focus from, you know, the rest of the uh, Iron Horde back over towards Gul'dan. And Gul'dan, I have a, a sneaking suspicion they're going to make the big bad. And this seems to kind of reinforce that. Uh, they're adding bounty quests, uh, which is you get a bunch of players together and you hunt down and defeat powerful enemies. Uh, basically think of like open world bounties, which is kind of cool. Uh, profession dailies are sort of getting a, a bump up because professions have been somewhat Stupid. antiquated. Yeah. Uh, relic quests that give you gold uh, and also will give you Harrison Jones as a follower. Yeah, that was awesome. That's actually really cool. Uh, a bunch of other daily quests. They're going to be new visitors that come to your garrison, uh, whether it's people that sell you things to retrain the rest of your followers uh, or just random NPCs. It's an interesting way that they could introduce more relevance for the garrison, but I don't know what they have actually planned for it, uh, aside from what they've kind of hinted at, that this is going to be people coming to and from. Is this, and, the, the, is this a patch that's going to be allowing you to buy different followers that you weren't able to recruit because of the choices you made for different quests? Um, I don't believe that is this patch. I think it's the patch after. Okay. All right. Cause I know they talked about it, but I don't think it's coming in 6.1. I didn't, I don't remember okay. seeing anything about it. All right. But yeah. And then you can, uh, for those of you that like jukeboxes and music, you can now change your garrison's music. Yeah. No, oh. I'm still, again, the, the garrison's is still my, I, I hate it so much. It's unbelievable. I'm at the point now where I've got three characters with, with full garrisons and I go in, I do my follower stuff and I get out. I, I open my salvage crates and that's it. I don't do any mining. I don't do any herbalism. I don't do anything else. And because of the manner in which the questing is done in here and whatnot, there's no reason for me to do anything else in the game unless I'm leveling another character for the most part. I, this is, I, I, I would, I think I would point blank say this is probably my least favorite expansion out of all of them so far. Which is probably saying a lot. I know I have played this one just as much as I played the last one. <laughs> I mean, I don't hate it. Uh, there are certain things that I, like when Garrisons were first announced, I was really gun-ho about it. That has quickly become my least favorite part oh, of it. Um, I do really like the the dungeons and the raids. Yeah. Um, I think those are really cool. I like what they're doing with them. I like the stories behind at least some of it, uh, but I like the aesthetics mainly. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm teetering. Like I, I have a love hate relationship with this expansion. Yeah. Oh, there's, <laughs> there's no uh, denying how I feel about it. I, I still play it because <laughs> I, I, I still like the game and I certainly like doing things with my guild and my buddies online and stuff like that. So that's still there. Mm -hmm. And I mm -hmm. do still like the leveling process. I always have in that game. So I'm leveling up a, a couple of characters now. But in terms of what I know now that I'm going to have to expect once, say, my druid hits, because uh, I made a new druid, hits that level that I have to take her to Junor, I'm just not looking forward to it at all. Especially because as of now, because I've done so many of the same things over and over again, all I'm doing for the most part is dungeons and I'm healing. That's all she's been doing is healing. Well, I'm not going to be able to do that to 100 now because I'm going to have to do the stupid proving grounds in order to be able to be allowed in. And I have to, in order to do that, I'm going to have to do 
the garrisons. So, I mean, I I hate that you're forced into doing those goddamn stupid garrisons and spending thousands and thousands of gold for shit that you're not going to use come the next expansion. So, yeah. Okay. Again, I just wanted to talk on it ever so briefly just because it is a massive patch and there's a lot coming through it. So let's talk about some crazy Japanese shit. Let's start <laughs> with Shin Megami Tensei, which I've never played any of them, but they are the precursors to the, the Persona games. I'm assuming you've played a whole bunch of these, Vince? I've played numerous of them, but I've actually never played any of the Devil Survivor games. Okay. Okay. I'll let you take this anyways. Yes, the Shin Megami Tensei series is this overarching narrative. Uh, it has a lot of similar themes of, you know, young people having to band together to fight off demons or other, you know, extra planar entities, if you will. And it's spun off. It has its own series. Uh, Shin Megami Tensei 4 came out two years ago, I think, and it was great. But it has all of its sub-series. It has, uh, of course, Persona being the most notable one. But one of the ones that uh, started up not that long ago, a few years back on the DS, was Devil Survivor. I, I never quite I got around to it, but I think I'm probably going to have to pick up the new one that's coming out soon. That is Devil Survivor 2 Record Breaker Edition, which is the original DS Devil Survivor 2 ported over to 3DS with extra everything, enhanced graphics, extra story, an entire extra game mode that they say is going to last about 20 to 30 hours on its own. So there's a lot of new content here that really has me interested. You hear that ready at dawn? (laughs) You hear how many hours on a freaking Diaz game? (laughs) 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 And there's actually a lot of stuff about Devil Survivor 2 that's kind of touching on elements that I enjoy. It's got tactical, almost sort of like an actual tactics RPG gameplay, but the way they handle it is pretty different like you have uh three or actually i think you can up get uh, four at one point of your summoners your your devil summoners and they're active on the grid and then once you move into combat with an enemy it switches to a more traditional uh dragon quest final fantasy style gameplay where you now have that particular summoner as well as the two demons that they've bound to them. So there's a lot of customization as far as, you know, which characters get which demons and splitting things up. And there's a lot of side objectives in the combat as well, be it uh, helping civilians or making sure an enemy doesn't escape or get past a certain point. You can lend a lot of help. So it's adding a lot of extra wrinkles into tactics games without necessarily overcomplicating them, which has kind of been, as I've said a number of times, my issue with a lot of modern tactics games is they try to do something new, but frequently, at least in my opinion, ends up overcomplicating things. But it's really staying to a core gameplay. And on top of that, they've added in what they're calling the fate system, which is basically just your links from uh, Persona where in your downtime, you can spend time with your NPC, either party members or sometimes just uh, people around the town, level up your connection with them from a story and character standpoint, and that'll enhance their abilities in combat, which is always fun where when you can mesh together story advancement with combat advancement. The game itself, especially from this trailer, I get a, a kind of like a Neon Genesis Evangelion feel with like these crazy gigantic uh, demons in this case are just tearing this shit out of Japan, just fucking up everything they come across. And of course, it's up to a group of teenagers to stop them. 
And the game progresses in a very interesting way where the story only happens over the course of a week, kind of like what we just saw in Life is Strange. And you can use your downtime to do any number of things, but you have to be careful. I'm not necessarily careful, but just mindful that certain events will advance time, either, you know, a couple hours or to the next day. And there's, I think, six different possible endings from the game, depending on any number of choices you make during the week uh, that the story takes place in. So there's a lot of replay value ready at dawn. (laughs) And that's not even talking about the entire extra mode they've added in with the Triangulum arc. The Triangulum is the name for the uh, giant demons that are trashing Japan, where there's an actually a completely separate uh, story canon from the original six endings that leads to basically the world being reset back to the beginning and you're playing through the seven days or actually eight days i think uh, of the original campaign but with a completely different story completely different everything so yes they're kind of reusing assets but they're doing it in a very smart way that's it's not just rehashing what's come before it's adding on to it it looked awesome my like i really was interested when i i saw that and I again, I don't know whether I would want to invest a ton of my time whether on that versus the new persona. I think I'd probably be leaning towards the persona five, but because I'm that player, and there's a lot of us that don't have the breadth of experience with the Shimigami and the the persona games, uh, it's basically for me a little of three. I, I wouldn't even count it too too much, and then four, and even then not finishing four. So there's still at least some semblance of normalcy for lack of a better term, that's something that I know from the personas. But you having them played them all, like if I was saying, okay, well, I'd like to try give one of these a shot, which one would you point me to? I See, that's the great thing about the SMT games is that with very, very few exceptions, they're all standalone. There's, there's not a, a concurrent story arc that plays through just about any of the games. It's more thematic like they they all have kind of the same concepts and dividing them up into the different series then really divides it up from a gameplay standpoint you know persona plays different from the course in megami tensei plays different from devil survivor plays different from catherine they, they've definitely spun off into each of the series you know sub-series of smt or from a gameplay standpoint but they all kind of have very similar story aspects um i really enjoyed shin megami tensei 4 on uh, ds that one was pretty crazy like a lot of it started off pretty standard but about halfway through the game it just goes completely off the rails uh combat was i don't want to say difficult but it definitely you had to kind of keep an eye on things uh but i mean from pure story perspective you really can't beat the persona series okay so what about these uh disgaea there's the five we got the trailer for that have you actually played any of those I played the first Disgaea, and that's, at least for me, a tactical RPG that just didn't work for me. It it had all kinds of extra systems added on of, you know, being able to pick up uh, enemies and friends and ha- having a lot of that was fun. But there was a lot of just a, a lot of side stuff. I ended up spending so much time doing side stuff, I lost interest in actually continuing with the main story. But the Disgaea games have always been fun uh, with interesting characters and just wacky storylines. The first one 
you're playing Laharl, uh, a demon prince, basically, whose entire goal was to become evil enough to eventually overthrow his father as Lord of the Netherrealm. And, of course, that runs completely awry as he meets this little angel girl and things just get ridiculous in the most anime ways possible. But anime's up. Yeah, exactly. But it was interesting characters, fun, lighthearted, despite the fact you're a demon lord of hell, it's more of a comedic take on it. That's what we're seeing here in Disgaea 5, Alliance of Vengeance, uh, coming out on PS4 later this year, where the central plot of the game is that the demon emperor Dark Void has conquered all of the other netherworlds uh, and has basically risen to the top. So you're creating this alliance of former rulers of other nether realms that are banding together to take down the dark lord so it's a super traditional rpg story trope of oh big bad guy has conquered the realms and everybody has to band together but with that twist of basically it's all different layers of hell and they're all demonic entities but you know they're not evil per se they they all have their own little character quirks you know some of them are actually good demons it's a lot of fun and it's something I really wish I enjoyed playing more because I, I really would like to experience the stories and just the fun comedy aspects that it brings about. I actually have – which one is it? Is it three or four? Three, I think, the one for the Vita mm-hmm. because it was I, – I, when they it first released three for the Vita? Yeah. It, when it was first announced, yeah. it was um, – well, I'm going to turn it on right now and I'll tell you for sure. The um, – I, I thought, oh, this looks like it'd be a lot of fun. And Oh, and see, look, I've got freaking Persona on. I started playing again. <laughs> I need to get out of there, though. Um, but no, I... Um, After the first six hours of pressing X, you actually get to play the game. The Yeah, it's uh, this guy 3. That, uh, anyways, because I'd seen the, the trailer, and then I thought, oh, this might be fun. And then I saw the other trailer, and all they say is freaking dude. And I was like, oh, God, this is going to be really dude. stupid. And then I read some... But some people had to say about it. And you spend more time managing inventories and everything exactly. else. So that's when I went, okay, well, I guess I won't be playing this game. So, But if they can fix that in 5, yeah, it might be fun to play. Because, again, a silly, wacky little anime type thing would be just what you need for downtime and just relaxing and laughing. Yeah. For everything except the actual game, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Thank you to everybody who came and joined us in the live audience. Make sure to check us out next week. We are live on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And we have a fantastic feature that's coming up on Darkest Dungeon. This actually came out not that long ago. Joe played through it, and he wanted to do this feature. And it is very good, so you will want to make sure to stick around and listen to it. Make sure to check out the show notes at ForTheLore.com. Leave us your comments, what you think about it. You can even leave us some reviews on either iTunes or Stitcher. You can reach us on Twitter at ForTheLore or individually, Joe at Loaders at J, Vince at Simodian, and myself at Zen Buddhist. Once again, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Oh, oh. And before I go on, I was almost going to jump in on you. I, I, yeah, but I didn't. After I didn't all forget. The times I've screwed up comic book informer. <laughs> but I, I didn't. Wait, this is I my just, shining this is, moment. <laughs> I ruined it for you. Sorry. You have failed me, Codeine. <laughs> on Wednesday, we are going to have our second um, Dungeons and Dragons session. So that is going to be a ton of fun. We're going to have Sir Reginald and Tag and Narrator back again for part two. And from what I understand, should be fairly cool. We should be maybe even leveling up, which would be awesome. I've already been if told. We don't die. been told to research my fucking skills. Like, <laughs> like I'm supposed to know this shit? Sir Reginald has people to do that for him, damn it. 
Does that mean I'm going to be you able really to make Joe Bob shit himself all the time? Yes, uh, Bob should pick his skills for that, him. That, that is an option if that's one of the spells you want to choose. He's been getting on my nerves, so it's quite possible I might choose that one. Anyway, so that's going to be on Wednesday. However, that's going to come out, no doubt, sometime next week because that takes a lot of editing so that it's more concise for you folks to listen to. So, and also just as a quick aside, make sure to check out Comic Book Informer that Vince and I record. We've had a couple of really good episodes lately, so you want to check that out. And also we just posted our latest episode of Popcorn Ronin, which is our movie and TV and anime one, where we talked about The Great Escape and Chicken Run. That was such a fun episode to record. How can it not be? The freaking Chicken Run and The Great Escape. <laughs> but it was a blast. Make sure to check that out at popcornronin.com and comicbookinformer.com. And with that... We will see you next week. Darkest Dungeon is a roguelike dungeon crawler game by Red Hook Studios. The game centers around the idea of Lovecraftian horror with servants of the Elder Gods, undead, and various mutations running rampant. You play the part of a member of a family line that lived in the Grand Manor overseeing the hamlet below. You receive a letter written by one of your family members who succumbed to decadence. Not sated by pleasures of the flesh and narcotics, your benefactor decides that he is going to dive into the occult. Hearing rumors that the family manor was built above the remains of an ancient portal, he hires a set of workers to excavate the land below. What he uncovered was a portal to another world. Opening the portal unleashed a massive evil that assailed the crew, devouring them. Your family member ran from the horrors and fled to the catacombs and penned a single letter to you before taking his own life in fear and regret. By the time you as the player arrives, the manor is in ruins, and the town surrounding the manor is in complete disarray. It is up to you to purge the manor and the surrounding area of evil, eventually defeating each increasing evil until you can seal the gate your family opened, unleashing unspeakable evil on the world. The gameplay is a side-scrolling adventure game where players take on a team of four heroes through various environments. It's a very light description for a very involved game. Players explore these dungeons and accumulate wealth, heirlooms, and experience. The dungeons are procedurally generated and range from short missions where players must battle all the evils found within a chosen area to exploring every nook and cranny, to longer missions which involve periods where players may camp, but usually culminates in the players having to face a great evil or boss. During these rest periods, players can recuperate health, hunger, insanity, and usually there is a checklist of deeds that the player must accomplish before hitting their ultimate goal. The game boasts a lot of RPG elements, with a lot of resources that the players will need to pay mind to. The first of which is material wealth. Gold must be spent on provisions for missions, including things such as food to stave off hunger, as well as torches to give light and tools to overcome obstacles, as well as various items for health. This must be balanced against the cost of training and upgrading your heroes and the buildings that support them. This includes unlocking abilities, upgrading weapons and armor, as well as various building upgrades that help to compensate for negative effects. Heroes can be outfitted with various items of armor or weaponry, as well as trinkets to help them in their journey. And their abilities can be set and chosen before embarking on the various missions, to ensure that you have the right tools at your disposal for success. Currently, there are 15 different classes of heroes that the player can recruit. Each class has a particular skill set that can be used in conjunction with other hero skills in order to make fights and encounters more dynamic and easier. 
deciding which combinations to use on each mission, and it is as important, if not more important, part of the game than the dungeon diving itself. And preparing for the mission can take as much time as the missions need themselves. Light is another important factor in the game, as keeping a certain level of light can confer bonuses, allow for scouting, and keep your party from being surprised or overcome. While exploring dungeons, the light of the hero's torch becomes dimmer, which means the dungeons get more dangerous, but that also yields better loot. The player may choose how many torches to bring into each dungeon at the provisions screen prior to each dungeon. If you do not manage your light properly, you will find your party losing hope and succumbing to stress. Stress is another thing that you must pay attention to. As heroes experience more and more stress, they eventually can reach a breaking point. It is at these points that the hero's resolve is tested. In these moments, one of two things happen. The hero will become so stressed that they develop a nervous habit or bad trait, such as kleptomania or gluttony, among several others. These adverse effects can be treated and removed in town, but cost money and will require the hero to become unavailable for a period of time. Options such as the sanitarium can remove these bad habits, but again, it comes at a price. The other side of the coin is that if the hero's resolve is tested, they can have a heroic moment, overcoming the stress bearing down on them to gain a buff. Different things can make your hero gain or remove stress. Certain enemy attacks will cause stress rather than damage, and if an enemy crits you on an attack, it will stress your entire party. Alternatively, if you crit the enemy, all of your party remove an amount of stress. Additionally, while camping, there are various party abilities that you can use to reduce your party stress, telling stories, jokes, sometimes even preparing a special meal or giving a heroic speech. Now, it wouldn't be an RPG if your heroes couldn't level up, and in fact, they do here. Although, instead of the traditional experience, heroes gain resolve. Like sanity, these are points of evolution. But, unlike traditional RPGs, the result is not always good. While your heroes can gain a positive trait that increases damage or increases their stress resist, they can also fail their resolve and generate a bad habit. While leveling up through resolve definitely skews us towards the positive manner, there is the possibility of something bad coming from this level up. It adds an air of uncertainty to the game, and it keeps each character unique, and it also incentivizes having multiple of a class. You can have two paladins. One can be much different than the other, depending on the skills that you've given them and the resolve that they're at. The story of the game is presented to you by completing missions and through the voice of the narrator, who not only gives you tidbits of information and story at the end and beginning of the missions, but also constantly narrates your actions. As you start to unravel the story, you get little tidbits about how deep and decadent your, your family actually got. And this continues all the way through until you reach the Eldritch Gate that your family opened. It's an interesting way to present the story. It's not written text like some folks may be used to, it's not quest text, it's not items found in game, but delivered directly through narration while you're doing other things. It adds a very cinematic feel to it, and actually is pretty entertaining. Now, the game is incredibly fun, and the difficulty makes every victory rewarding. Everything needs attention and requires you to balance and plan uh, to basically make the gameplay much more involved and much more rewarding than you would expect it to be. But the game also boasts a smart save system where it's constantly saving your progress so you can also bounce in and out even in the middle of a mission and not lose anything. 
It's a very, very cool little feature that means that you can devote as much time or as little time as you want to the game, which is also a signifier of most roguelike games. The visual style of the game is probably one of my favorite things about it. The art style is very reminiscent of a Hellboy comic. It's very stylized with heavy black lines and a very dark atmosphere. The spell effects draw very heavily on the Eldritch, Lovecraftian horrors, with lots of fire, blood, tentacles, and darkness. And the villain designs are both intriguing and grotesque at the same time. Trust me when I say you will hate the Swine Prince. The variety in the various environments is very solid as well, uh, whether it is the surrounding countryside that's been tainted by the death, uh, the caves with the deep waters and the coves that lay below the manor, or the ruins of the manor itself. There's a lot of variety. Even in the individual rooms that you go to, or areas and sections of areas that you go to, it is very different. It gives you a good variety, and because you get to choose, you're not going to be assailed by the same visual palette repeatedly. Simply put, the game is absolutely gorgeous. The dynamic lighting in the game is something to take note of, and is something that you would not expect in an indie game. Everything about this game breathes the Eldritch atmosphere, and that is something to take a positive note from. Full disclosure about this game is that it is currently in early access. However, Red Hook has been constantly updating and tweaking the game. And for the first time, this game has actually made me break my own rule of not investing in early access. It feels a complete game as it is. So investing in it now is not really a risk. You're basically buying a done game that's being updated. It has endless replayability. The RPG elements are interwoven quite well. The gameplay mechanics are solid, and the game can be as much or as little as you want. I'm a big fan of all things Lovecraftian, and the game draws upon it in such a way that it is a little light touches at first, but as you move progressively deeper into the dungeon, as you dive deeper towards the horrors that you unleashed, it gets more and more. You see the taint in the background. You face further tainted enemies. It's an absolutely fantastic touch. I can tell that I will be spending countless hours in this game, and if you are a fan of RPGs, roguelikes, or dungeon crawlers, this is a game that I highly recommend for you. Early Access is currently set at $20, and again, you're not buying just an Early Access game, it is a complete game as it is. Ah. Man, I, I was so happy. I was like, he's going to forget. He's going to forget. <laughs> he was hoping. He was waiting. He had his fingers crossed. You know, you know you've got good friends when they look forward to you failing. It makes their night when you screw up. It would probably be, kill himself laughing if I fell down a flight of stairs. But then it makes your night when you thwart his schadenfreude. Oh, thwarting is always fun. <laughs> Don't worry. There will be plenty of thwarting in two days. <laughs> thwarting! I'm just saying I better find a fucking shovel. <laughs> you were just underground, weren't you? I looked around. I didn't see no shovel. Uh, you, did you look for a shovel? Yes, we did. did. We, we looked around. the crew that we were with that, you know, was dismantling things if they had a shovel? God damn it. <laughs> I did that on purpose. I'm like, he wants to shovel so bad, I'm going to send him underground on his first quest. God damn it. I'm just, it was my first freaking D&D. 
You could have clued me in a little bit. Say, psst, you may want to ask for a shovel for that. It's not my job. It would have killed you, bastard. You could, you could, it's an open world. You can fucking narrate. Sir Reginald can do whatever he wants. You can always ask. You know what? I'm going to be sending somebody who's at the inn. I'm going to give him a couple of coppers <laughs> and say, there's a bunch of jackasses stuck in that tunnel back there. Go steal the shovel. That'd be awesome. <laughs> I added you to the conversation. I turned around. I'm doing something else. And I go back. And you didn't answer. You never added me. I did. I did. That's the, that's the first time it rang. I'm just saying I did. I'm just saying you're a liar. Oh, oh, oh. fighting words in the first freaking minute. Nice. Well, you're either a liar or you're an idiot. Which one is it? Don't be that way. That's not nice. <laughs> Jesus, who pissed in your freaking beer? I got my my two Tylenol threes with Cody lined up beside my sherry glass of sherry. <laughs> but I can't take them until 7.30. <laughs> Till then they will mock me. The problem is is that they wear off about an hour in. Or not an hour in, an hour before they're due to wear off. So about three hours in, if I'm lucky and they last that long. So they're worn off now for a while and I would really like a little bit of pain relief but now I just have to stare at them just drink my sherry instead screw you Cody you never loved me <laughs> it knows it doesn't have to <laughs> kill it <laughs> it probably would have killed off Morton as well heartless Cody you get crazy Japanese stuff. <laughs> that ever makes it onto the docket? I don't even have to say that a niche for myself. Yeah. If it's ever on the docket, even if it doesn't have your name on it, just know. I'm going to. I've got like 15 games to play right now. What did I play all weekend? Fucking Diablo. Did you get any legendaries from me yet? No. Okay. Because I've gotten two from you. Have you been actually sending the ones that you pick up? I thought it just to, did it automatically. No, you have to go into your inventory and send it. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. I, was, I looked and I was like, this jerk hasn't sent me any legendaries. He probably didn't send them. <laughs> he probably just picked them up. Okay, hold on a second now. Hold on. Because I honestly, I have no clue. So if a legendary comes up that I don't need, I just right click and, or obviously not right click, but I, I click on it somehow and I can send no, no, no. it to you that you'll, way. You'll get an actual item that drops that says a gift for Samodian. Oh. You don't even know what it is. I like I have no idea what I sent you. Okay, well I haven't I haven't even seen that come up. So I would have to enable that first before I can send it, or what? No, it's just once you pick it up, like it's a white item. Like every time I've seen one dropped, it's dropped like alongside a legendary. Right. So that might be part of it. Like not every time I get a legendary, but every time I've gotten a gift, it has been with a legendary. And then you don't actually do anything. You just pick it up and it automatically sends to me. No, you have to go into your inventory, the same little tab where your gems and potions and stuff are stored. Right. And the little, the top slot there is where your gifts are. Oh. And then you go in there, hit X, and it'll send it off to me. Okay. Well, I haven't seen anything in there because I've been in my inventory and I haven't seen anything in that upper spot yet. So that means I mustn't have gotten anything. Your crappy luck is affecting my drops. Apparently. Here's what's hilarious. Like what I found out since the consoles aren't doing the uh, the latter seasons that they are on PC. 
all the season exclusive items are just straight up in the console version. So all the new season two stuff you can already get. Really? And yeah. I didn't know that. So at level seven, I got the most sought after season two monk item. <laughs> That's awesome. How much how much you want to bet I'm never gonna see that once I get to level seventy. Awesome. Oh, there's no bet. There's no bet on that whatsoever. <laughs> I actually haven't I uh like I saw, I was like, oh, I've never seen this legendary before. And then I'm like, I'm looking through like some of the character builder stuff. And I was like, this is going to be so awesome once the once the gears come out in season two. I was like, the ge- I have those at level seven. And then there was this part where I soloed four hellhounds. <laughs> I was like, because those hellhounds are reasons. Those hellhounds are coming through that door, right? Like they're breathing fire on it, tearing it down. Like, yeah, I'm like, OK, cast cloud of daggers in the doorway. Joe can even handle a couple of beetles. <laughs> take them down with a I'm a lover, big, not a fighter. Bed bug will take them down. <laughs> Thank you for listening to For the Lore. Each week, the show is broadcast live on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Stop by forthelore.com/live to join the conversation and have your thoughts discussed on the show. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Comic Book Informer, a weekly podcast from Vince and Roger as well as Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.